This is Crosscut Reports. I'm Sarah Bernard. Today, we're talking about surveillance. You can go onto the website. I can actually like go on right now and show you. And we can see ourselves. Specifically, the fact that many local governments across Washington are using federal pandemic relief funds to acquire bigger and better surveillance technologies, such as license plate readers or video analytics software. As Crosscut investigative reporter Brandon Block discovered, most of these new acquisitions are being directed to police departments. Police say these technologies will help them do their jobs far more effectively. Privacy advocates say that this will allow government agencies to track innocent people with little regulation or transparency around how their data is being used or shared. In this episode, Brandon talks about his tour of existing surveillance in downtown Seattle, the various technologies that are now being implemented around the state, and the potential ramifications of all of it. Cool. Okay, let's go. All right. So, Brandon, you recently took a very specific kind of tour of downtown Seattle. Tell me, what was that tour and who was leading it? Yeah, um, probably not a tour tourists would ever take. But yeah, I spent some time walking around downtown with Jennifer Lee from the ACLU of Washington. And she pointed out uh, basically a number of different surveillance apparatuses in this pretty small area of, of downtown. And you can barely see them, but these are basically collecting your location all the time. And this is an area that I'd been to a lot. So I'd walked all these streets before, um, and I'd never noticed any of these things. For example, we walked through this one intersection where something called a Bluetooth beacon, it's this little black disc that tracks the movement of people's phones as they pass by. Um, and it also records like your phone's unique identifier. These devices can uniquely identify you within a 500 to 700 foot range. So In this one particular intersection, there's uh, license plate reader cameras, which are scanning the license plates of every car that's driving by. Actually, can you see it? Do you spot it? Uh, Let me know if you can I definitely see don't. No, I don't think so. In addition to kind of just pretty prolific uh, video camera surveillance, you know, like traffic cameras and just like businesses having security cameras kind of kind of throughout. So just interesting to revisit places that you've spent a lot of time not really thinking about any of these things and suddenly be attuned to uh, all the different ways that you're potentially being watched. In this day and age, you know, I'm, I'm fairly aware that everything I do with my phone, for example, probably is being tracked somewhere. Probably every time I use Google Maps, like at least Google knows where I am. Or There's this feeling I think we all have that it's like, well, I probably am being surveilled to some degree every time I interact with a piece of technology. But you're also kind of being tracked by the city of Seattle as well. That's what this tour is about. It's not anything new, right? It's, it's This is how it is. It has been for some time. Yeah, I mean, none of these are particularly new technologies. The city of Seattle's been, been using them for a number of years. And, uh, you know, for example, like the license plate rear cameras have been around for, for decades. I think, yeah, there's nothing necessarily surprising about this. I think we all have this kind of sense that we're, we're being uh, surveilled as we live our digital lives. But I think becoming attuned to it all at once can produce an interesting effect 
Um, you know, I'm, I'm not necessarily someone who is particularly diligent about, you know, for example, like limiting my digital footprint or anything. But uh, I think kind of the totality of the kind of tuning into to all of these things that are happening at once can really create this sense of paranoia. You know, I think it just kind of underscores the degree to which personal data collection is uh, just kind of rapidly becoming an unavoidable aspect of, of living your everyday life. Our first stop is going to be looking at um, the acyclical devices, which are the Bluetooth beacons. And so let's like drill down for a second on, on, for example, what one of the devices you mentioned, the Bluetooth device. Paint the picture for me. What, what does it kind of look like? So it's really innocuous looking. Um, it's just uh, it looks like a little hockey puck that gets slapped onto the top of traffic signal control boxes. Uh, and there's more than 300 of these, most of them in downtown Seattle. And the Seattle Department of Transportation uses this to gauge traffic flows and adjust the timing of lights to try to uh, prevent traffic. If your Wi-Fi is turned on, your phone is constantly uh, reaching out to look for Wi-Fi networks and sending a signal. Um, and so this is basically hoovering up all of those signals. So any phone that passes by the sensor, they're recording both the location and uh, something called a MAC address, which is like a unique identifier to each phone. And the city says that they don't have access to information that could identify particular phones. Um, they're only recording that there is a phone moving. But I think the concern of privacy advocates is that uh, it's a private company that the city licenses this technology from. And it's not entirely clear what uh, they do with that data. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the company you report is called Acyclica, and that's sort of the part that it seems like Jennifer Lee from the ACLU is voicing concern around. There's no contract between Estat and Acyclica, or the company that owns these devices, which means that the company can then share all the information gathered from this device with um, law enforcement or private companies. Which is- yeah, and I mean, Acyclica um, also does say that they are not selling that data without like an express agreement. But I think there's a little bit of distrust. Uh, one, because I think it's not entirely clear what the, the rules are around what they are allowed to do with that data. And also there was a, a Seattle Times investigation a couple of years ago that the parent company of Acyclica has a history of like breaking federal laws around things like bribery and um, international arms trafficking. Um, So uh, (laughs) if you're someone who's inclined to paranoia already (laughs) about what's happening with your data, that certainly does not inspire confidence. Yeah, no, not at all. (laughs) So I think just kind of an example of of a technology where it's collecting massive amounts of information on on everyone. And there's a lot of questions about then what happens to that data. And I think that's true of a lot of the technologies that I've reported on for this story. And so, for example, moving on to another device that you've mentioned, uh, automated license plate readers. That like, little like, tube-looking thing, that is a stationary automated license plate reader. Yeah, uh, there's there's a bunch around Seattle. And I also, when I went to, to Spokane to tour their real-time crime center there, I got to look at like kind of what the interface looks like. But uh, but yeah, they're being used kind of across the state widely in, in Yakima County as well, which we can talk about. And how do they work or what, what are they designed to do? So basically what they're doing is they're taking a picture of every license plate of every car that drives by and they're scanning every plate and then they're checking that plate against a national FBI database of 
for example, people with warrants for their arrest for various things, stolen vehicles, you know, missing persons, things like that. And so these license plate readers are being used by the Seattle Police Department? So they can be used for a lot of different things. Seattle, they're used by police and also by, by the Department of Transportation for, for much different purposes. But the most common usage that, that police departments will cite is, is finding stolen vehicles. And they'll say that they're, they're quite successful in, in doing that. But the technology has the ability to track pretty much anything you want. So you can enter plates into the database for example, if there's an open case where you have a lead on it and you, and you have a license plate of a suspect, you can enter that into the database. So it kind of depends on the department of what they want to use it to track. So in, in Spokane, they've told me that they use it only to track felony cases. But, uh, you know, in, in Yakima, they give officers pretty broad discretion about what type of cases they they put onto uh, it's called a hot list so for example they're also looking at shoplifters can get put into the database or there's also you have the ability through the FBI database to track a category called immigration violators which includes people who've been accused of crimes but it also includes uh, non-citizens who haven't been accused of crimes and so i think that is concerning specifically to to immigration advocates who are concerned that this could be then used to assist in immigration enforcement. The way that ICE was able to get her information and her address is the Department of Licensing of Washington shared her address information after they got her um, her information from an ALPR. Ashley Del Villar uh, from La Resistencia also joined us on the tour. Um, and, and La Resistencia is an, an organization that advocates on behalf of, of undocumented people uh, in the Seattle area. So that was, you know, one of the things that she was particularly attuned to is that no matter the purpose or intended purpose of a specific piece of surveillance infrastructure, there's always the concern that it could be used to, for example, target immigrants for deportation or, or other things. So there's the intended use or, or stated use, and then there's the potential use or the capacity of a certain piece of technology, I guess. And that, that's where a lot of the concern lies for some of these advocates. Absolutely, yeah. And the thing about license plate readers, too, is that they're pretty unregulated. It really depends city by city what their policies are. Um, so, you know, Spokane says that they're not using this to track, quote unquote, uh, what the FBI database calls immigration violators. But Yakima, the lieutenant that I spoke to in Yakima, says that there's no policy against uh, using the license plate readers that way. Mm -hmm. So uh, it really uh, is kind of police departments regulating themselves when it comes to this particular technology. So taking a step back now, I mean, what prompted you to, to start uh, looking into this? What's new right now? Yeah, so some of these technologies are not necessarily new. Like I said, license plate readers have, have been around for quite a while. But we have seen them become much more ubiquitous in the past couple of years. Uh, and part of the reason for that is this influx of federal money that is coming into cities and counties all across the country as part of uh, these pandemic stimulus rescue packages. President Joe Biden is calling on states throughout the country to use the money from the American Rescue Plan to strengthen police departments and improve public safety. So we've seen across the state, cities and counties are using these one-time federal monies to buy different types of things like mobile camera trailers. We're seeing license plate readers. Drones have come up a number of times. Body cameras are, are a huge one. 
and and just different types of uh, video surveillance. We're also starting to see uh, more advanced sort of AI type, what's called video analytics software in Spokane. Uh, I got a chance to visit the Real-Time Crime Center, which is a whole sort of new wing of their police headquarters where they're incorporating this new video analytics technology into this kind of centralized area. The idea behind this is that you can scrub through video footage, you know, hundreds of hours of video footage in uh, an extremely condensed time frame to look for, you know, a person wearing a red hat or a silver car in, you know, this particular area. So we're seeing these types of technologies become a lot more widespread because of this money that's available. And the Real-Time Crime Center, was that center created using those monies? It was, yeah. Yeah, okay. So in your reporting, you've noticed these new acquisitions across the state of Washington, for example, that were made possible by pandemic relief funds. But according to your reporting, this is not happening in Seattle. The existing surveillance technology in Seattle is just that. It's existing. It's not, it has not been recently acquired. As far as I know, yeah, Seattle certainly has not reported uh, spending any federal relief money on surveillance technology. So as far as I know, yeah. And I think the other thing that, that Seattle provides is sort of, um, Seattle is sort of uncommon in the sense that there's a, in 2018, uh, there was a transparency law that was enacted that requires pretty robust reporting and, and public engagement around any surveillance technology that is being used by uh, law enforcement or even Department of Transportation or the Fire Department. The purpose of this ordinance was to provide transparency about data that we collect. We only use technology for that which we need. In other words, we're not overusing it. And so there's a lot of information available about how surveillance is being used in Seattle, and there are pretty clear policies about how it's allowed to be used. And I'd say by and large, that is not so much the case across the rest of the state. The laws, to the extent that they exist, are are much weaker But it also, I will say, it also depends on the type of technology that we're talking about. So, you know, for example, like going back to license plate readers, I am not aware of any uh, statewide regulations. It's kind of just city by city, you know, if if they have a law. Right. And so, again, I think it it sort of leaves some gray area. Yeah, there was actually a report that came out just this past December from the University of Washington uh, where they looked specifically at automated license plate readers, and they found that there are several police departments across the state that are sharing license plate reader data uh, with police departments in other states, for example, where abortion is a crime. Researchers at the University of Washington Center for Human Rights are concerned the data collected could be used to impede immigrant rights or restrict access to reproductive health care. So there's concern that 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 data could then be used to help prosecute uh, people seeking reproductive health care in Washington, for example. The report cites departments in Washington that are sharing information into databases that uh, federal immigration enforcement has access to, for example. And these are both things that Washington has passed laws kind of affirming the access to reproductive health care and has also passed laws pretty uh, explicitly telling police departments not to stop people for the purpose of immigration enforcement, uh, trying to limit cooperation with federal immigration enforcement. And so the argument that this report makes is that those goals are undermined by the creation of this information and then sharing it 
with the very agencies that we're trying to limit our cooperation with. Moving on to another aspect of these technological advancements, let's talk about facial recognition for a moment. I mean, I think facial recognition technology is something that's been in discussion broadly in society for a little while. Based on your reporting, what's your understanding of um, the sort of state of things in terms of recent acquisitions? The only uh, recent acquisition that I'm aware of is in Spokane, they purchased uh, this video analytics platform made by this company called BriefCam that does include facial recognition. Before before the vote on on acquiring this technology, one of the county commissioners during during the meeting said that he spoke to the sheriff's office and asked if they were going to use facial recognition and was told that they were not going to use facial recognition. And then they voted to approve it. And and I was told by the deputy that they asked for it to be disabled. Wow. But that's still, I guess, them making the choice to make a decision about their own actions. So so again, the police policing themselves. But you report that there is there is some amount of regulation in the state of Washington around facial recognition technology already at the state level, right? A little bit? Yeah. So Washington was actually one of the first states to pass regulations requiring disclosure about about the use of facial recognition. In 2020, the state passed a law um, that basically just requires police departments to notify local officials of their intention to use facial recognition software. Um, And it also sets some limits around its use. You know, you can, for example, use it to track faces in a crowd, but you uh, need a warrant if you want to engage in what's called persistent tracking of an individual. Uh, the ACLU did under some emails a couple of years ago indicating that there are several police departments in King County that had been experimenting with facial recognition um, going back to 2016. I'm not sure if they are still using it or to what extent, but it, it does seem that uh, there's at least some experimentation that's been going on. Mm-hmm. And if you were speaking to advocates who are concerned about this kind of technology. What kinds of things do they say about why facial recognition in particular is is of concern? So one thing that research about facial recognition has indicated is that it's significantly less accurate at identifying female faces and people of color. Software technology isn't there yet, and that black and Asian people, especially women, and more likely to be misidentified and targeted. So that's definitely a major concern. And there was actually, there was a case in Detroit, I believe two or three years ago, where a black man was arrested based on a false facial recognition match. So there have been kind of already examples of of the technology backfiring in in, in harmful ways. And I think this is the view that that advocates would present is that the technology can sometimes reflect the biases of its operators and and can enhance the potentially the the harm of of those biases. So I think the the concern is that as the technology gets more powerful, the potential for that kind of abuse also gets more powerful. And, you know, I imagine that there are, uh, you know, plenty of people you spoke with who said, this is really important for my job. Like, this really helps us. Yeah, certainly um, the proponents of a lot of these technologies will tell you that they're 
uh, really helpful in, in solving crimes and make officers' jobs easier. So, I, you know, I think one thing that, you know, definitely is true is that the technology, you know, technology moves inexorably forward. And I think that is safe bet that that's going to continue to happen. So then, yeah, the question then becomes, how do we regulate its use? And are there ways to mitigate the potential negative side effects? So I think that will that will be the question going forward. Thanks for listening to Crosscut Reports. This episode was reported by Brandon Block and produced by me, Sarah Bernard. Our story editor and executive producer is Sarah Menzies. You can subscribe to Crosscut Reports wherever you listen. And whatever platform you're listening on, please review us. We'd love to know what you think of the show. Also, if you'd like to support the work we do at Crosscut, whether it's our lineup of podcasts, the video docu-series we stream every week, or the in-depth reporting we deliver every day, go to crosscut.com membership. In addition to supporting our journalism, members receive complete access to the on-demand programming of Seattle's PBS station, KCTS 9. For the latest political, environmental, and culture news from the Pacific Northwest, visit crosscut.com. That's also where you'll find a text version of the story we discussed today. Crosscut Reports is a product of Cascade Public Media. I'm Sarah Bernard. We'll be back soon with another episode.